Well, the Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson has just returned from Libya and he's here with us this morning. Good morning. Good morning, Michelle. Let's um, first understand what you mean by Libya as the front line uh, of illegal migration and terrorism. How great would you say the terrorist threat emerging from Libya is today? Well, it Certainly on uh, migration, you saw a couple of months ago, it was running up at uh, 12,000 a week, I think the figures got to. And on terror, there's no question that in uh, the lawless areas of of Libya, uh, you've got umpteen militias vying for control with the the Libyan National Army, and you've got space in which terrorism can, uh, alas, incubate. A thousand uh, fighters, IS fighters, regrouping in Libya now. That's what Libyan officials have have said. Yes, uh, it's quite interesting. One of the things that we aren't seeing at the moment in in Libya is any particular signs of people coming back from uh, from Daesh in Syria and in, in, in Iraq to Libya. Uh, that doesn't seem to be a phenomenon that's that, that's going around. But clearly, when they when Daesh was driven out of Sirte. Uh, in the in the centre of the of the country, there was a, a successful campaign there. The effect of squashing the watermelon there was that it has dispersed uh, terrorists, uh, Islamic jihadis around the country. Okay, but it is a serious threat because obviously today sure. we are involved in action against IS in Iraq and in Syria. They are there in Libya as well, and they are there in number. Absolutely, uh, and they are a. Uh, and they're the reason, they're one of the reasons, and the migration uh, crisis is also uh, a powerful incentive for us all to work to get a, a political solution and to get that country back under uh, under control again. I mean, you, you, you said in your introduction quite rightly that things didn't go according to plan in, uh, in 2011. The removal of Gaddafi didn't lead to the ushering in of a great new democratic age, and, and that's obviously been a, a, a tragedy so far for the people of... Uh, of Libya, but things are starting to get a bit better. Security is returning to uh, to Tripoli. Business is starting again in uh, in Misrata. Uh, they they have would, they would have you great. Would that we haven't really paid much attention to to Libya until recently? And and all part of what's happened to it in the last six years is is our responsibility as a result of that. Well, I, I certainly think that we over we were we of course we were way over optimistic about what would happen when we got rid of Gaddafi. We thought that the elections in 2014 would be a solution and actually they made things worse. And that's the, the point that I've been making over the last couple of days to uh, people in Libya. They need to glue back together the, the two sides of the country. They need to come together in a political agreement. They, I think the politicians in Libya need, as it were, to suppress their own selfish interests, compromise for the good of the country, and get behind the, the UN plan. And I think one of the reasons people are optimistic now is because we've got a very good new UN special representative, Hassan Salame, the uh, a Lebanese guy. And I think if the if the, the 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 Libyans and the world community can get behind the UN plan, then we've got a chance. You, and then you, you should have elections. You, you talked about uh, the numbers of people getting on on boats. Uh, you'd like to see those come down. Sure. Well, I mean, these, this is a tragedy for those those people. I think in, there's, the, these are the most evil, nauseating travel agents the world has ever seen. I, I, I saw you. You've seen. You've seen the you, Michelle. You've been there. You've seen the boats that they they use. They're these absolutely pitiful contraptions. With but some uh, of the rescue boats, for example, that go and try and pluck people from the sea, have been fired upon by the Libyan Coast Guard. Uh, that's what MSF Medicine Sans Frontier have said, and that Coast Guard has been trained by 
the British. Yes. Are you comfortable with the fact that that they are firing on on rescue vessels? Well, I think it's a very difficult balance to strike, and I think the the Italians in particular have been uh, who are in the the front line. As it were, the Italians are the first port of of call for these migrants, and they have been concerned that some of the uh, NGOs have been inadvertently, perhaps, perhaps inadvertently, acting as a pull factor, acting as, as that, magnets. That's a different for, point. I want to just very, the, very specifically, uh, we have trained the Libyan Coast Guard. They are accused by the NGOs of firing on their well, rescue vessels. Well, where, where there is evidence of uh, breach of the law of the sea or, or illegal behaviour, then obviously that's that's to be deplored. But uh, n- none of that has been has been shown to us. I think it is important to chain. Uh, that's why actually we're 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 training the Libyan Coast Guard, and they are uh, very grateful for what we're doing. Uh, I, I talked to a number of the of the cadets and the, and the officers that are on the on the dock in in Tripoli. They have they have their work cut out. I mean, they've got three. Uh, pretty inadequate fiberglass uh, vessels. Uh, they've got these huge numbers go, going across the uh, the water, and uh, many of them, of course, perishing in terrible circumstances. Or, so, or, so they or do being, or being forced back to Libya, where they're more than likely going to be in the hands of people traffickers again. Well, and what we're doing there, and that's a, a very good point, because you, you're right that their fate in Libya is not necessarily going to be rosy. Uh, so these are people who you know who've come up on on buses or whatever from uh, sub-Saharan Africa. Yeah, well, from, some of them are refugees. Guinea, Conakry, or, or wherever. Uh, I've talked to a lot of them, and 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 they're mainly uh, young men in search of uh, of employment in in Europe. And it's very important that we help the Libyans to get them back down those routes uh, back to their countries. And overwhelmingly. Uh, they say that that's what they want to do and that's where they want to go. Um, you, you, you mentioned uh, Syria and I want to ask you about the UN's uh, call for uh, a humanitarian pause in the fighting for uh, Raqqa. Uh, IS are preventing people leave. The US-led coalition is also accused of, of, of causing civilian casualties. Are British planes involved in those coalition airstrikes? Well, I, I, I'm, what I will say about... Uh, we, of course we are involved in the, the effort to, uh, to liberate... Raqqa. But the interesting thing is that the, uh, and I, I, I know you had uh, the, the good doctor, the great, great doctor not on the, on the, uh, David not uh, on the show just now. And I fortunately I couldn't hear what he had to say, but he, you know, he is absolutely right that we need to uh, get the casualties done. I think I'd, po- I'd point to the success that we are having. Just one point the- on the casualties. What the UN is calling for is a pause in the, in the, in the fighting, and you've said that we are involved in the effort to get IS out of Raqqa. Would you consider that having a pause in the fighting? Well, I think the the priority has got to be to get IS out of Raqqa. And uh, so the answer to your question is no. I think we need to get on and, and do that. And uh, we, will, we will achieve that. And that is overwhelmingly in the interests of the people of Syria. And, uh, and our involvement like, in Raqqa, are, are RAF planes involved in those airstrikes? Well, RAF planes have certainly been involved in the liberation both of uh, Mosul and of Raqqa. Right, and, and are continuing to, to, to be involved now. Well, I'm... Because obviously I'm not, it's I'm, not over I'm, in Raqqa. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not going to give a, a running commentary on uh, specific military operations, but, you know, we, we are there. Uh, we do, and it's thanks to the efforts of the, uh, of, of the RAF, who contribute, I think, the second biggest uh, number of sorties overall, that we have liberated very substantial proportions, both of... Iraq and of of Syria from uh, Daesh. Uh, you know they've lost, I think, 
uh, 60% of their territory in, uh, in Iraq, 40% in, in Syria. We're going to go on and... Uh, obviously, there will then be questions. I mean, the, the, the real question in, in, in Raqqa, if I may, is not, you know, should we stop the campaign of liberation? The question is, what happens then? Because you, you've got to look, Michelle, at the reasons for Daesh's emergence right. in but Raqqa. May, uh, and can but, we, can we create, a, can we create a bigger question? Can we create a system of a bigger question that's not about in Raqqa that commands the support right. but, of those people? But a bigger question about the future of the whole of Syria and not just not just those areas. What Dr. David Knotts said to us about half an hour ago is that the government should reconsider the Assad must go position. Well, I, think, I think I think he, I think he, if I may say so he, he's a bit we, we, you know, we have, as it were, reconsidered that. And um, I was asked, I think, at the, in the House of Lords Foreign Affairs Committee before Christmas uh, last year, whether I thought Assad still had to go as a precondition of negotiations on the future of Syria. And I said no. Right, But uh, that's and, not the same and, as saying as reconsidering the position altogether. Are you saying then Assad can stay? I said then that uh, I saw no reason if it, this is ultimately for the people of Syria. I mean, I, you asked me personally. But I'm asking you about the British government's position. My, is it now that Assad can stay? I, what I said uh, six months ago, to, which nobody noticed, uh, was that if the people of Syria decide that Assad can stay on, if there's a democratic uh, election and Assad... Come on, that's uh, a long way, is, in, that's a long well, way in, into, the, into the future. Is our position today that Assad can stay? Our, our position is that it's overwhelmingly in the interest of the people of Syria that Assad should go. And that he's uh, he's responsible for the bulk of the four hundred thousand deaths that we've seen in that country. He has blood on his hand. He is a tyrant. So you'd uh, never I, be if, prepared to meet him, no, would you? Uh, I think it's wrong that he should be. Uh, he should. Uh, you know, I think it's very difficult to see the circumstances in which he could continue to command the affection and support of the. Uh, of, of the people of Syria, uh, I think it. I think he should go. Uh, but so then we haven't we, reconsidered well, well, our position. Well, no, no, I mean, on well, the one hand, well, you're saying no, we no, have, well, and then we no, haven't. I, I don't wish to, to disagree with you, but uh, what I what we where we've moved is what we used to say he had to go as a precondition for any political solution. What we're now saying, and what I announced six months ago, is that. Uh, we thought he should go, but he should go as part of a transition to a new uh, system of, of government right, and a new uh, democratic outcome okay. in Syria. Now, if Much, Assad wants to yes. be part of that, it is always open to him uh, to stand in a democratic election. Okay. Much closer to home, um, Brexit and uh, the Brexit process. Yes. What did you mean um, when you said a few weeks ago that, that the EU could go whistle over, over the Brexit bill? Well, I think I was being asked then about some very large sums of money, I think 100 billion euros or pounds that uh, the EU Commission suggested we were on the hook for. And that seemed, that's not a, you know, not a figure I recognise. Oh, so, so it's not the, that, that they can go whistle on, uh, on a bill. It was just the sums involved. Well, I, you know, I think that the, the, some of the sums that I've seen seem to be very high and... Of course, we will meet our obligations. We will, you know, we are uh, law-abiding, bill-paying people. The UK has contributed hundreds of billions over the year, okay. over the years. So, you, so, 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 the, so the you EU. are comfortable that we will have to pay in order to leave the EU? Well, we will certainly have to meet our obligations. Okay, which obviously involves paying. 
You're happy with money being handed to Brussels in order to facilitate our exit from the EU. Settling obligations is how uh, Mr. Barnier puts it. uh, I'm not saying that I accept Mr. Barnier's interpretation of what our obligations are. But I'm certainly saying that uh, we have to meet our, our legal obligations as we understand them. And that's what you'd expect the British government to do. OK. Uh, what, is a, what is the top amount you'd be prepared to, to see us pay? F- and I, 30 billion, 50 billion? You clearly have an issue with extortionate. So I'm wondering what extortionate means. Well, I'm not going to get into a, a financial a haggle with you. Uh, now, and this is a matter for okay. our can they go? W- can they go whistle if it's more than 30 billion? This is billion? a matter for our excellent negotiators and what they... Uh, what you'd want them to do is to get the best possible value for the UK taxpayer. And that's what they're going to do. So if and you'd if, also if they're expect, being asked for more than also, 30 also, billion, should also, they say yeah. you can go whistle to the what EU? What they are going to do, Michelle, I can give you an absolutely clear, precise uh, uh, answer. And that is that we should pay not a penny more, not a penny less of what we think our legal obligations amount to. Okay. Right. Um, uh, on the transition, are you are you comfortable with the idea of a two to three year transition, as David Davis and uh, Philip Hammond have suggested? Uh, well, what the government has said is that there can be a series of uh, transition periods. There can yeah. be. No, what do, what do you think on the length well, that that transition could? Well, be? I'm trying to point out that there are several transition periods that are envisaged in the government's proposals so far, and as the customs union transition period where uh, there's a discussion about how long that would go, whether it would be one, two, three years, how, how you'd run that. But then there are other things that might take some time to to bed in. And that was clearly set out in the uh, Lancaster House speech of January the 17th. Uh, right. But if it takes, year, th- that if it, if it takes the, three that years from the point of us leaving the EU in March 2019 to, for example, the next general election in 2022, if that's when it is, you're comfortable with that? Well, I think the crucial thing is certainty. And I think what business wants to know is that we are getting out with confidence and determination and that we're going to do it in a timely, orderly and effective manner. And uh, I think on the customs union transition period, if, uh, what the paper says is that the length of the of the transition or the implementation phase or the interim period or whatever you want to call it, uh, it will depend on the exact arrangements that we that we enter into. Okay, now, just... for my my view is that uh, we should get on, and I think what business would want to, us to achieve is is speed and efficiency. Right. Um, well. In the interest of speed, perhaps you could answer these last few questions then relatively um, speedily. Um, quick, quick, quick word on no, quick, quick word on uh, the student numbers that yeah. came out yesterday. Very students, very pro students. Right. So pro students, we does no that limit mean on the numbers. Right. Should they be included in the official migration figures? Well, they're not, as you know, because of uh, the rules that uh, govern uh, inter- uh, international they migration. Are count- figures. They are counted in, and, the, in the government's net migration and, figures. And uh, sorry, they are. They are. They yes. are. Included. Should they be in the I, future? I, I, I'm. I am. I am uh, content with the uh, success we are having in attracting international students, and also in ensuring, by the way, that those international students do not overstay their. Uh, their, their period here and, uh, and, and doing the right thing. But international students are a great feature of the higher education economy and we should continue to, to welcome them. You, should we continue to count them in the net migration figures? The Prime Minister has well, been very the, keen she, on that. Are you Prime arguing Minister, for the opposite? Well, the Prime Minister rightly points out that that is the technical, uh, that is the way that they are currently counted. Right. And should that continue? 
that is the way the that is the way it is done. Uh, but I, there is, no, as you know, get back key point. There is no cap on student numbers okay. coming into this country. When is President Trump and making his state visit to the UK? Can't tell you that, but the invitation has been issued by yes, the Queen we know that. and has 20, been withdrawn. Twenty eighteen. Not uh, can't tell you that. Because if it is happening in twenty eighteen, you'd, okay, okay, you'd want to answer, plan more for likely twenty eighteen than this year. Well, yes, because you'd you'd want you'd be planning for it by now, wouldn't you? Okay, so so twenty eighteen. And what did you think when you heard what he had to say about the violence in Charlottesville and, and was, the responsibility on many totally, sides? I thought he got it totally wrong, and I thought it was a great shame that he failed to make a clear and fast distinction, which we all are able to make between fascists uh, and anti-fascists, between Nazis and anti-Nazis. Boris Johnson, thank you very much. Thank you.